Let's pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, Holy God, we thank you for your word. And we pray as we come to your word that our hearts are opened, that we hear and follow as you command. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many of you have heard the story of Horatio Spafford. He was a man in Chicago, a successful businessman, married, number of children, and most of his business was wiped out in the great fire of Chicago. And then a little while later, his wife and four daughters went ahead of him to England for some church missionary type work. But as they crossed the Atlantic Ocean, the ship sank and many souls were killed. All four of his daughters died. His wife barely survived. When she got there, she sent him a telegram. uh, And he, of course, was struck to his heart. So as he sailed across to go meet her, It is said that at the point where the ship crossed where his children had died, the captain of the ship had brought him up and told him that this is the spot where your daughters died. And it is also said then that he went to his cabin and then penned the song that we know so very well. It is well with my soul. So let me read to you some of those words that he penned. When peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well, it is well for my soul. So I wonder if you and I could pen such words or even give voice to such words when the trials, the tribulations, when we are shaken by the storms, when there are earthquakes of life, when things happen in our life that just devastate us, could we still stand and say, it is well with my soul? You see, the only reason he could pen such words is because he stood on the bedrock, the solid rock of Christ Jesus. The promise for those who are in Christ Jesus and put into practice his words, the promise is that they will be able to withstand it all. There's not a promise that we will be, we will somehow miss all those trials and tribulations in life. They're going to come our way. As a matter of fact, the stronger you stand in faith, the stronger and uh, the harder some of those trials come. But the promise is, when standing on the bedrock of Christ Jesus, you will be able to withstand it all. So we are continuing in our series of Follow Me. What does it mean to be a follower? What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ Jesus? And this morning, we are going to learn what it means to build our house on the rock. So let's go to our scripture this morning. Luke Chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not, what I t- do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. 
Now, as always, context is important, right? These verses come in a particular context. What Luke has recorded in chapter 6 is a truncated version of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. If you want to read that in the full entirety of it, go to Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Now, as I have also mentioned, reading those chapters, they are very challenging. And although Luke gives a truncated version of the Sermon on the Mount, it is challenging nonetheless. For what does he say? Luke chapter 6, starting verse 27. And for those who want to be challenged, this would be something to mark in your Bibles. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. These are challenging words. Jesus gives a huge contrast in what it means to love. What does it mean to love? To love your enemies. And the vividness of the language that he uses really challenges us to think about our own self-preservation, our selfishness, our desire to retaliate in kind, our rebellion, our even hatred of other people. These are all very challenging words. And he gives them to us because he says, the love that that the Father has for you is so great and so good, you are to have that kind of love. He says, we are not that, he says that God doesn't love us because we are good. He loves us because he is good. Now, these are challenging words, right? The problem is when we read these words, when we hear these words, when these words are spoken to us, it's often easy to let these words just kind of pass on by as if they are meant for somebody else, but not really for us. Let me give you an example of how I think many people read and hear the words of God. Now, have you ever flown? You ever taken flights? And for those of you who fly a lot, right? There's always the flight attendant giving directions on your safety. In case something bad happens, this is what you must be able to do for your own well-being. Now, the first time you fly, right? I remember the first time I flew, it was like, I'm going to listen to everything. Because, man, I don't know about this. You know, and then after you fly for a while, you kind of go, yeah, I heard that. It's not new. And so you leaf through your magazine or you read your phone or you put in your earbuds nowadays and you just kind of let that message, that life-saving message, just go on by because you heard it before. You know what flight attendants have done now? They've taken it to make into entertainment, right? And boy, some of them are really funny. Like, yes, this is going to save your life, but let's just entertain you instead. I think that's how a lot of people come to God's word. Oh, yeah, yeah, I heard that before. 
I've heard this sermon before. I've heard those words before. Uh, You know, check out a little bit. And so what pastors have taken to doing, some pastors, is they have taken to entertainment. There have been pastors who have come down on a wire, who have come down on a zip line, who have ridden a motorcycle dressed as Elvis. I'm serious. These are things that have happened. I recently heard of a youth who went to youth worship at a particular church, and I don't know who was dressed as a chicken, but somebody was dressed as a chicken. If we are, if that's how we're training our youth, that you need to be entertained to hear these words, then we're all lost. It's not the respect that we have. And so this is the kind of the context of what Jesus then says. And he says this, he says, At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Now, to say Lord, Lord is a statement of great respect. It's not just Lord, it's not just Master, but it is the Master who speaks the very word of God, Lord, Lord. But Jesus is telling all of these people, the people who have just heard these life-changing words, he says, it's not enough to give me lip service. I need you to pay attention. I need you to put into practice what I am telling you. You see, to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus, is to say, I believe, and I will do as you say. I believe, and I will do as you say. You can't have one without the other. We try to separate those two and say, I can just believe and not do, or I can do and not believe. No, it is, I believe, and because I believe, I will do as you say. To say, Lord, Lord, and not do what Jesus says is simply patronizing. Let me show you, let me give you an example of how this might play out in our lives. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Jesus says this, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will, tell, I will show you what he's like. So when you actually read those words in the original language, language, there are three things that really come out. Comes to me, hears my words, does them. So it is a, it's written in the, in the way that it should be continually. Everybody who continually comes to me, just not once, just not a once, just not on Sunday, just not once a month, once a year, but to continually come to me is what he is talking about. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, right? To be a disciple of Jesus is to be continually with him all the time. And how do you come to Jesus Well, you actually come to Jesus by his words. And where do you find his words? You find his words in scripture. So that's what he's talking about. And when he talks about, here's my words, it's not just the simple act of having those words bounce off your eardrums. 
When he talks about hearing, it is meaning it, it takes it in. You take it in. You ponder it. You meditate it. You feast on his word. You eat it. You breathe it in like it is the oxygen for your very life because they are. Because his words are your life. So we take those words in, and we take it in continually. I know people don't eat just once a week. It's not like you get to come to church just once a week and somehow can be fed for the rest of the week. You need to be fed throughout the week. And then you must continually do as he says. And this is the hard part, right? Just like the video showed. Oh, yes, I agree with you, Lord. That would be good, but in my situation, and we've got all sorts of excuses like that. You see, Kent uh, Hughes wrote this, and I thought it was really good. Faithful disciples are those who keep coming, hearing, and doing Jesus' words. And you know what happens when that happens? You build your house on the rock. Jesus says, when you do that, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Now, when you build a house, you have to take a look at the land first, right? And you have to survey the land. Now, most of us are not good surveyors of land in that respect because we hire professionals to do that, don't we? Because we want to make sure that the house is built on the proper foundation. You know, it's a whole different ballgame building a house here in Arizona versus in Minnesota, the Midwest, other places. You have to get somebody who knows the land and can really tell you this is the place and how far down you have to dig. The trouble is, when you and I survey building our foundation, our life, we are not good judges of that foundation. As a matter of fact, we are very bad when it comes to assessing the nature of our own foundation. I've told you before about the prisoners who took a survey about how moral they were, and they rated themselves above everybody else in that prison. They even rated themselves above everybody else in that town, except for one thing, law-abiding, and in that case, they were equal. Look, if prisoners can deceive themselves about laying the foundation, what does that say about us? Because we normally say, well, I might not be a saint, but I'm certainly not a mass murderer. I'm here, well, I'm just a little above average, right? That's how we survey our foundation. But if you really want to take a look at your own personal foundation and see who you are, study the Ten Commandments. Take an hour or two per commandment. Dig deep, and you will see the foundation that you have It's not the foundation that God lays. So, once you survey, you have to dig down until you hit bedrock. And again, in America, in American Christianity, uh, John Piper actually talked about this. A lot of people have a rake when they use for Christianity. You know, a rake can only clear the surface. 
And he says, if you just clear the surface, you still don't have a good foundation. You need a shovel. You need to hit bedrock. Because bedrock does not move, right? It is stable throughout everything. So what is the bedrock that we have? What is the bedrock upon which we are to build our foundation? It is Christ Jesus. This was foretold in Isaiah. Our reading from Isaiah this morning, chapter 28, verses 16 and 17. This is a good one to mark in your Bibles. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, and I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. Now, lest you have any confusion, any doubt that this is speaking of Christ Jesus, we simply let Scripture interpret Scripture. So, actually, there's our reading from Isaiah, but if we go to Ephesians, Ephesians, talking about the saints and the church, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And 1 Peter says this, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am, laying a, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So Peter is referring back to Isaiah, saying this is Christ Jesus, of whom it was written, of whom it was foretold. Let's go back to Isaiah for a little bit, because we need to dig into this. We don't want to just take a rake, because when you take Scripture, you just don't want to go and, and get just the surface stuff. You want to dig down and see what God has given for you in there. And there are two things that you find in this Scripture. One, it is the Lord who lays the foundation. It is not mankind. It is the Lord God who has laid the foundation. The great I am who says, I have laid a foundation. It is a sure foundation. And it is a cornerstone, a precious cornerstone. Now, you remember this cornerstone, by the way. If you do any building at all, a cornerstone is very important for the building because a proper cornerstone gives you the proper foundation. It tells you what the lines are supposed to be. It tells you the level at, is w at which it is to be laid. If your cornerstone is off, the whole building is off. Now in Isaiah, it talks about a particular type of cornerstone, precious, sure foundation. But notice two things. It says, I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. So when you're building a building, right, you've got to get a line out there to make sure it is at the right and proper angle. And it is God's justice in Christ Jesus that tells us what is straight and what is true. And the plumb line tells you what is level. So in Christ Jesus and him alone, he is the cornerstone he is the one who, who is the justice and righteousness of God. Jesus Christ is our sure foundation. And when you build your home, when you build your life 
on the cornerstone of Christ Jesus. Though storms come, though your health fails, though surgeries do not go as you plan, he is your sure foundation. He's your cornerstone. And when you know Jesus, you know the gospel as well. You know that he is the righteousness and grace and mercy of God given to us because of the love of God. That's that love of God, right? If you know the gospel, you know Christ Jesus. If you don't know the gospel, you don't know Christ. You can't know him without the other. This is the foundation. Because I know I've talked with you. I know that many of you have gone through storms and trials and tribulations in life. And I anguish with you. And we always come back to Christ Jesus, the cornerstone in all of this. So Jesus says, if you build your house on him, you will be able to withstand everything that does come your way. But if you do not, but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Let me show you a couple of buildings that don't have good foundations. Yes, the Leaning Tower of Pizza, right? Built on swampy land. And there's another one in Germany that's tilting practically as much as that. But they don't have to be fancy uh, buildings. Here's some other pictures, right? You're building houses where they shouldn't be built. And by the way, you can build a very expensive house and it can still crumble. All right? Look, some of our houses have collapsed. People's lives have collapsed because they don't have the right foundation. A lot of people have built their lives on their health, on their wealth, on their skills, on their abilities. And when one of those things goes awry, and it seems like then their world falls apart, But they say, look, I've got my health, I've got my wealth, I've got my skills, I've got my abilities, therefore I don't need Christ, and thus what Christ said is true. Have you not read the scripture, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? They, people building lives without Christ, they reject him as the cornerstone. But then when their life does crumble, as it will, then they try to deal with it with so many different ways. And it is a cry of desperation. It is a cry then of blaming God because somehow God has let that happen to them. But people often spiral down with drugs, with alcohol, with all sorts of things to numb the pain. And you know friends like this, right? You know friends who their lives are not going well, and so what do they do? Rather than building a firm foundation and going down to the bedrock, they try to numb the pain with other things, but it doesn't work, does it? Just this past week, again, we were talking about the men from Adult and Teen Challenge in Arizona and how their lives had spiraled down 
And they were going down and down and down. But until they went into the program and they had bedrock, where they had firm footing, that's when they could stand and then rebuild their lives and rebuild their homes, their house in a way that had never been before. And look, were their houses fancy, so to speak, their lives? No, they practically had nothing, but they had a solid home. It does not matter how wonderful your home looks. It matters the foundation upon which you stand. And Jesus says, if you don't have that foundation, you will fall. The warning Jesus also gives, though, is for the shallowness of the superficial convert. So, in context, he is speaking to all of those people, and he says he's warning them about the shallowness of how they follow Jesus, of being a disciple, of just hearing his words but not putting them into practice. And he says, look, You can listen to all the sermons, you can listen to all the podcasts, you can read all the scripture you want, but unless you put it into practice, you're going to be swept away. And great calamity will befall your home. Now, in most sermons, we like to leave it with an upbeat note, right? We want to have a happy ending to all of these things. But if you take a look at the sermon that Jesus just gave, he says, this is what you have when you follow me and put into practice. You have a sure home. And if you don't, great calamity will fall. And so rather to try to make that nice this morning, I'm going to let his words stand. So there are couple questions for you to consider here. Have you built your foundation upon Jesus? Upon the gospel? Because if you don't know the gospel, I don't know what foundation of Christ Jesus you're building on. Are you continually coming to him? Hearing his words, putting his words into practice. And that's what we need to do is continually to be able to do those things. Jesus gave a challenging sermon. We should not make it any less challenging than what Christ gave us. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we we are both comforted and challenged by the words of Christ. So we ask that through the Holy Spirit, you continue to work in us to continually bring forth the desire, the love, of following Christ Jesus and putting into practice what he has said. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com.